listeners, and welcome to the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Darlene Marshall, and way, way back when I was a brand new baby trainer, just starting out uh, working in corporate fitness, I remember I learned everything about how to program someone's personal training, how to write their sets and their reps and their rest and their cardio programs and all of those details that went into helping my clients to reach their goals. But I also remember at that time when a client would come in and they would say, well, I, I want to feel good or I want to start exercising. I want to move to be healthy. And I remember being a little bit confused, um, just trying to figure out what that even meant to them. Like, oh, I want to I move to be happy. And it just didn't make sense to my, at the time, very logical, very linear training brain of like, okay, but like, how do I get your body to make that adaptation? It did not compute. And no one had a good answer for me at the time. And I wish I had a little time machine and I could take today's guest back to like baby trainer Darlene, because uh, I think she might have had a few useful things to say on the subject. So my guest today is health psychologist. She's a Stanford professor. She is the author of multiple best-selling books, um, The Willpower Instinct, The Upside of Stress. And if you've ever had a conversation with me, you've probably heard me say that one of my favorite books of 2020 uh, was her book, The Joy of Movement. She is also, she's one of us, one of us. She's a group fitness instructor for over 20 years. I know that I would love to try her Bollywood class someday if she'll have me. Uh, Kelly McGonigal, I'm so excited to have you back on the show. Welcome back to Better Than Fine. Yay, I'm so glad to connect with you again. We've had dance parties, we've done karaoke. I yep. don't know what we're gonna do today to top that. I don't know. Oh, geez. Do we have to throw it out at the beginning? Cause I just got all kinds of pressure to try to, I hadn't thought of it that way. Ah. Well, we're going to talk about meaning. I mean, that feels yeah. pretty important. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, let's start by, you know, lately I've been thinking a lot about the phrase mind and body. Um, I've been reading about it. I've been thinking about it like this idea that, you know, historically in our culture, we separate out the pieces, right? Like mind, body, spirit, or whatever people call that. Um, and, and I don't think of them as separate. I think you're of like mind on the subject. And I just like to start by hearing your thoughts on, how we move past this idea of separating mind, body, like the parsing out of things and, and see it a bit more completely. Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, I, <laughs> I <think> warned you. <laughs> I, you know, so I always think of human beings as being like essentially embodied. We experience life through our bodies. That's That's simply the reality of it. And yet we often uh, feel disconnected from that. I can remember one of my meditation teachers, she said something once about how most of us experience life as if we are behind our forehead and mm. everything is revolving around that spot, like including our bodies, like our bodies are attached to us and we're dragging it around somehow. But like the who I am and how I experience life is this little spot back here that's very self-focused and um, and not embodied. And so, you know, one of the reasons I love movement and exercise and also a lot of forms of meditation is that I feel like it drops that sense of self from this like tight place here that I also associate with things like worrying and self-criticism and and like like that stuff in your head. Um, movement brings us into this 
place where we sense ourselves in our heart, sometimes like literally is our heart pounding. <laughs> we sense ourselves in our muscles, in the power of our body moving as fast, as free, as graceful, as all of these things. Um, and so like, you know, like you, I don't really know how to think about the mind and the body as separate, but I do know that we often experience life in this way that can feel reduced to often even our, our worst mental states, right? Like you can feel like your life is defined by that voice in your head or mm -hmm. the fear that won't leave you alone. And then movement gives us a way to have a grounded experience of life that includes um, our whole bodies. <laughs> I love how complete you have attached movement to so many of the things that I've you know, also think about, you know, I've, I've had a very similar experience. I think the first time it really became present for me was doing like one of Sam Harris's meditations where he talks about moving consciousness through the body. I was like, what do you mean? It's up here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, um, and, and for the people listening, we're both then gesturing like kind of behind our foreheads, but this, this embodiment experience that you're re referencing, um, you know, it connects really strongly to me to these ideas of like everything I'm ever going to do, every thought I'm ever have, every hug I'm ever going to give, every time I do karaoke, um, they're going to be done through this physical vessel that my consciousness rides around in. And so I love that that is your launch off point to then talk about the, the power that movement has to connect all of those experiences together. Yeah, it really resonates with me too. So how does that then, you know, if we if we took the time machine back to like baby trainer Darlene. What year are we going to, by the way, just so the soundtrack in my head is correct? 2012. What comes to mind? 2012. That's barely going back in time. Okay. You know what? I had a whole career actually... before this one. So <laughs> <laughs> pretty good era for music. You know, dance pop was starting to really like hit its peak again. Okay, I'm ready. I got it. <laughs> I just had to make sure I knew what I was listening to yeah, so, in the so DeLorean. What are we're we heading listening back. to? What are we listening to on the training floor in the West oh, Village? In 2012, you know, probably, you know, maybe uh, Gaga. Probably Gaga. Yeah, that feels right. That feels okay, like a so time Gaga soundtrack. is jamming in my very corporate luxury uh, gym in the West Village. I'll let you extrapolate from that information where I was. Um, and baby darling baby trainer darlene has a client who says like oh I, you know i just want to feel good i want to feel good in my body and baby trainer darlene in her very linear mind has no idea how to facilitate that process what what do you think the advice would be then yeah um well there are a couple of things i can think about one is you know i'm a psychologist so i am gonna be very interested in what that client means by good. Like, you know, yeah. I'll, I'll have that conversation. Like, what do you, what would feel good? And I might even toss some ideas out. Like, would it feel good to feel relaxed? Would it feel good to feel powerful? Do you want to smash some stuff today? Would that feel yeah. good? Do you need some catharsis? <laughs> do you want to just feel like a kid again? I mean, like, you know, there's a lot of different ways to feel good. Um, I, you know, I often will encourage people to think about the videos that they watch that are related to movement as a clue about what might actually make us feel good in movement. Like what, what on social media, what's the video you're gonna stop to watch? Is it the choreography? Is it the, you know, the ninja obstacle courses? Is it that great moment in some sports event? Is it somebody crossing a finish line, 
right? What, like, what is it that makes you happy when you see it? Because that might also give you a clue about the types of movement that are going to make you feel good. Um, yeah, I don't see. I'm also not a personal trainer, so like, <laughs> no, but it's still be like good I, advice. I mean, you know, well, what are we going to do to make you mad? I'd be like, do you want to go for a walk? I mean, when I think of the things that actually make people feel good, right? It's being in nature, listening to music they love, moving with somebody else. That so, like, as a trainer, what I would be thinking is also when do I get to join in? Not that you're going to do a whole workout with someone, but like for the part, like you could make a really meaningful moment out of that. That's to have somebody moving in synchrony with you. Um, showing equal effort, like they're really in it with you, that's a way to make someone increase the chance that someone's going to feel good. Um, but yeah, music, nature, doing it with other people. And then there's always, it's that key ingredient is the quality of movement itself, which is so, it, it varies by person. There is like, like for you, what movement form when you do it or what modality or even like an actual specific movement just feels good to you like when you do it you either think I was born for this or I never knew I could do this and it feels incredible you asked something very similar the last time you were on oh, the show and well, I because talked about it's so doing kettlebells no but what's interesting is the answer has changed oh really okay yeah yeah there's a new movement you've changed. discovered something new or you've changed different season oh I think I've I think I have changed um but I want to circle back for two seconds before I answer your question and say that you know you say oh I'm not a trainer but you've given really good advice. Like the <laughs> things that I wish that I could go back and tell myself would be like the coaching questions that you gave about, okay, well, what does feel good mean to you so that you understand what this person's language means before you jump to a bunch of conclusions and lead them down a different path than they intended. Um, and then you mentioned the things that actually make movement feel good. And it's like, okay, so when you're, I, I was a big fan of the mid, mid session dance party in the middle of the training floor. Uh, and Dr. Feelgood is the song that has popped in my head. <laughs> so like the mid-session training um, dance party was was working for all the reasons you just said, right? It's moving in synchrony. They're not in it alone. It's adding play and fun. Like all of these things that I think there are certain trainers who would just do those things as part of their personalities. And then there's other trainers kind of roll their eyes at them. And to have somebody say like, oh, the research is nonsense, but it's not nonsense is a value for someone who's really linearly of mind. I agree. Um, so Although I also was like, you, you know, I also always tell people, yeah, the research is really cool. And I, I love it because it makes me feel excited, like you said, to kind of feel affirmed. But it also just gives me ideas for things like, like yeah. I'm not a nature person. So thank goodness I read the research so that I can give people the very accurate advice to go outdoors, even if for me, I'd rather just put on the right playlist. Um, but also, like, People can trust their direct experience. I, I'm always telling people this, you, you know, you know it. If you are having a good time, if you're enjoying it, you can tell when somebody is connecting with you and they feel good about themselves. So the other thing is, I hope we give people some good research-based ideas, but you're, the data that you collect through direct experience is really good data. But you also just gave another bit of really good advice, which is just because you do or don't like it and it does or doesn't work for you doesn't mean that that's yeah. necessarily true of your client. And that's, again, why you 
gotta ask questions. Yeah. And you gotta like be so, really interested. Like that's the other thing too is yeah. oh, I'm really curious. Like you told me there was a move other than the kettlebell and I'm still waiting for it. Oh, oh, well first to the listener, you're listening to the Better Than Fine podcast. My guest today is also trained as a cat adoption counselor and matchmaker I learned today on her website. And uh, just one but more I reason I to want to apply to, to be your friend. Yes, yes. <laughs> I have two babies that were born of a rescue in my bedroom. I know, I know. And yeah, you know. There's anyway, always room uh, for more. And I'm your host, Arlene Marshall. And Kelly is very effective at distracting me while I'm trying to do my bits. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, but to answer your question, Kelly, I was actually really excited to tell you this. And I wasn't sure I was going to tell you on the mic. Um, I've recently tried pole dancing. And it's the most joyful thing I have ever done with my body. I it's just so hard. Somebody else say something so similar too. Yeah, that it's really hard. It's really hard. really satisfying. And I've been going with one of my best friends who's also a yoga teacher and a personal trainer. So she is also quite resilient with her body, quite fit. And she also was like, I can't move my thighs. I'm like, I can't move my arms. Like I lift a fair amount and I could not move my arms the next day. It's it, but it's, I don't think I've ever giggled so much while doing something that someone else labels as exercise. Nice. It's great. So yeah, I think you know, my big takeaway just from that question a year ago to that question now is the value of what I think is important in terms of my own movement practice has changed a lot. And being open to that evolution in a way that I unquestionably would not have been two years ago. Yeah, like I same. So I was thinking about this recently, too. And I realized that I love right now, mountain climbers going as fast as I can. And literally saying in my head things like, don't have an opinion about it. Go, 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 Ooh. go. And it, there's a certain like quality of commitment that I can feel in that move because it's not, it, you know, it, it's at the edge of what's hard because you have to keep going when you want to quit. But it's not at the edge of what I'm capable of, like I'm going to fall over after five seconds. Yeah. Um, and I just, I love that feeling of knowing there's a part of me that will say yes to the challenge just keep going um and especially because it also like never lasts more than 30 seconds in the kind of workout that i do i suppose someday i'll you know maybe the trainer will have like a, the two minute challenge and i'll i'll discover where the joy ends <laughs> the joy ends and the hurt begins oh man i love i love the idea of don't have an opinion about it because i definitely experienced that in my my new practice of pole dancing where you know like the the part of my brain that wants to think about perfect form and biomechanics and muscle attachments and whatever um, has to shut off at a certain point for me to pick my feet up off the floor and swing around and see what gravity does, right? So it, I can't have this like perfect biomechanical leverage if I'm going to be immersed in the experience of it. Yeah, it really challenges that part of me that wants to control the ideal environment yeah. for myself or for others. Yep. Like there's a lot of times where we, we can't do that. You just have to say yes to reality as it is. And so I think of that as like my practice of embodying that. Oh man. I, again, I just want, I want to take this whole episode and bring it back 10 years. Cause the, we're, we're, I feel like we're pulling out a lot of just solid advice for being an embodied human, hmm. not necessarily even like, how do you have stress, stress management in your exercise hmm. or and whatever. Isn't it just so interesting what you can learn from movement. I mean, yeah. it does seem a shame, uh, a shame that so like me too, when I was first becoming a group fitness instructor, 
you know, we learned all the muscle attachments and everything, but no, nobody ever asked me, how does it feel to do this movement? Or what did you mm. learn about yourself from your workout today? And so it's so nice to be, to like, to be truly settled in the practical movement science and then get to explore the, the psychology of it. Yeah, I dig that. I dig, and not just of movement, right? Of embodiment mm -hmm. as a whole, right? Like thinking about, you, you mentioned meditation and mindfulness or sleep or just my own experience of stress. Like the more I'm using these tools to connect to my own embodiment, the, and now that I've got a deeper and deeper understanding of the science behind it, it, like you said, it's freedom to just explore and see where it takes me as a person, which I think makes me then a much better practitioner for helping other people do stuff. Yeah, that's very technical. Other people do stuff. Um, so one of the things that I feel like I've noticed, at least in the time since I first read Joy of Movement, and you know, it's been about, about two years, um, it feels like there is a shift not only because of the pandemic, but from many social forces. Um, and, and a few weeks ago, I came across a report by Mintel about the fitness industry specifically, where self-reported motivation for exercise, we had more people exercising for mental and emotional well-being, then physical well-being, and then aesthetics. And it was the first time since they've been collecting data that that wasn't the top reason, mm -hmm. which I think is fascinating for many reasons, but I would love to hear your thoughts and reactions yeah. and like, why, why do you think that's happening? And how do we support that if we are interested in having positive embodied experiences as people and practitioners? So I saw that too. I found it very exciting. Um, yeah. I mean, so my first reaction to it was, oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> one of the things we know is that, and by the way, you know, I grew up in the 80s in that like the peak era of exercise for aesthetics. So I totally understand it. I understand why people associate exercise with making your body look good and losing weight. Um, but we also know from the research that when that's your primary focus or motivation, you are much more likely to quit even if, regardless of whether or not you achieve your physical goals, you're more likely to stop moving um, and you're less likely to experience some of the, what I think of as the core benefits of movement, like feeling happier and more connected to other people and a sense of purpose in your life and confidence. Um, so it's actually, it's a really good shift. If it's true, if that survey is true and people, a lot of people are no longer thinking of exercise as primarily a way to either lose weight or improve their appearance, what that means is there's going to be more people who keep moving. Yes. So I think that that's great. Um, you know, the other thing that, that makes me think is, well, good because also they're much more likely to get what they want. And we also know from the research that it is much easier to get mental health, emotional and social benefits from movement than it is to achieve, um, you know, drastic physical appearance changes. Most people will experience mental health benefits immediately, as long as they're doing a form of movement that is appropriate for their body and, you know, meets any criteria that they have for enjoyment, whether, you know, they actually like it or they just feel good about themselves when they're done <laughs> or they're doing it with someone they care about, or there is that right playlist, right? It's, it's just so much easier to experience those benefits. So that was my second thought. And then like why it's all happening, 
I don't know, maybe people are paying attention. Um, I know that, you know, I was part of a study during, um, during the initial pandemic where a lot of people were talking about how they felt for the first time that running was really important for their mental health. It was a study that was looking at runners and their experience. And mm -hmm. it was during the pandemic that they really realized how important it was for their mental health, not just focus on getting faster or how many steps they could get in, but this like that they felt free when they did it. Mm -hmm. They felt that they were moving forward in life. It actually gave them a place to go, you know, and to do something. Um, so, you know, maybe a lot of people who were already active also had that experience because it was harder to find those things um, in ways we were used to. Yeah, actually, I, I had that experience. Um, I don't think I've told you this before. Uh, had COVID first wave in New York City, got COVID pneumonia, spent months to recover, was reading Joy of Movement to inform my master's thesis, and was reading the, you know, your, your sections on um, step count, runner's high, and endocannabinoid receptors, and kind of like all of that stuff. I was like, oh, I got to start I got to start walking even if I can't run, like I can't breathe well enough to run. So let me at least get out and get some steps. And I'd been, you know, I'd run before doing triathlon and stuff, but like got myself running to get my step count up, even as I was still healing. Uh, and a lot of it was, I think, because of reading your book, because I honestly, I probably would have just kept picking up heavy stuff and in the apartment and not really even gotten outside um, were, were it not. For, for you and your love of movement <laughs> put to paper. <laughs> and it was, it's funny, right? Because I also don't run. <laughs> That's, put that on the list of activities that don't bring me joy. Uh, yeah. But runners but you can dance. Stories, but I can dance. <laughs> yeah, that's what I learned is that runners have, many runners have amazing relationships to running. So that book is so full of stories about running because I loved listening to runners talk about running. <laughs> well, but I think the other thing that you just said that's really resonating for me is that, you know, I think I get really stuck in the, well, like, what movement do you like? What movement do you like? And let's have you do that. And that'll be your like happy movement stuff. But what you just pointed out that I don't think I've really connected personally before is it's not just about what movement do you like? Like you could like the playlist, you could like the person you're doing with it. You could like the way you feel afterward and attaching to those positive emotional experiences is good enough if you don't necessarily like, you know, kettlebell swings and pull-ups. Yeah. And actually, I mean, it's, it's such a great orientation to life. So I'm, I'm interested in the psychology of happiness in terms of how people define good life and mm. how they define happiness and um, also how we create memories that we turn into positive stories that we tell ourselves, often even about events where a lot of things went wrong and weren't that great. Um, and so I, you know, I'm always interested in thinking, well, how can we design movement experiences to make all of that more likely? That again, the experience itself, it's, it doesn't have to be about avoiding discomfort. It doesn't, it's not about avoiding failure. Um, there can be moments where everything is awkward or it's not what you would have chosen. And, and yet, if we get the framing right, right, it's going to become a memory that you savor because there was a moment in it where you surprised yourself in a positive way, or there was a moment in it where somebody praised you in an authentic way and you knew it was real because they saw something in you that was true and they said it and you felt it. And so mm. there are all these things we can do so that at the end of whether it's a workout or 
a vacation where half of it went wrong, <laughs> but the, you know, some of it. High was point good. end. Right. We we our memories. We just start to construct these stories, and um, that's also one of the things we know about like why people stick with exercise, is it's often not if you ask them how they feel right in the middle of it, it's we give them a little bit of time and then ask them to tell you about it. And if you can get them to tell a story that makes them feel good, that makes them yeah. want to do it again, like that's that's the sweet spot. That's the sweet spot. Yeah, so that like little client interview at the end where you're getting them to tell you all the good stuff is important. That's an intervention, not just Ooh. for your business. Well, and for anybody who hasn't studied psychology and hears that word intervention and thinks of that TV show, uh, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about any tool that you I use know. in psychology is it's, we that's call funny. it I love I love the word intervention because for me, it, it's like it's similar to like invention, like you're going in and you're tinkering with something yeah. and you're going to get a result that's really exciting. That's all. Yeah. We're not trying to like, I, change or fix people. Yeah. Nope. Nope. That's not what we mean, especially in the positive psychology space. Positive interventions are like here's the, here's the thing that's going to make you feel good. Um, but listener, hopefully this is making you feel good. You're listening to better than fine. My guest today is Kelly McGonigal. We are talking about movement and embodiment. Really. We're going to talk about stress in just a second. Uh, I'm your host, Arlene Marshall. And Kelly is also check this out. She was the first person ever named by, <clears throat> I'm going to get this so wrong, named the first ever O visionary person by O magazine for her ability to in quotes, transform scientific data to wisdom. Oh. <laughs> Can you tell story about that? Yeah, yeah. I was the first. And they were planning, Oprah was planning on having a visionary for every month of 2020. So I got to be January's. Oh. And let me tell you, 2020 went like, you know, and uh, they got- Not they according to few, plan? They snuck a few more in. I think Michelle Obama was the last. And then like that whole thing just disappeared. I think they were done with the visionaries. So it's like you and Michelle Obama are the two- Oh, visionary people. Like that's that's my company, man. Yeah. There there were a few, but they yeah, that that series did not pan out. I think no, the way they but expected. still a cool but still a cool thing. Yes. That, yeah. Oprah says you're you're good at transforming scientific data to wisdom. I'll take that compliment. Mm -hmm. Um, so two of your books, Upstride of Stress, Joy of Movement, both I think massively informing. But I think they relate in a relationship to movement and how we experience and process stressful things in our lives. And I think more and more people are waking up to this idea. Um, you know, I struggle with even the idea of saying like, oh, I move to manage my stress because I think in my brain, it's just changing my experience of like my own nervous system and my own body. And then what stress even means changes. Um, but I'm very curious to hear your thoughts about like that relationship and what that really looks like in people as they're unfolding their lives and their own embodiment. Yeah, I mean, so, so many ways that movement can change your experience of stress. Some of it actually is like just very biochemical. So we know that chronic stress, traumatic stress, just day in and day out stress um, can create changes in your brain and in your body that increase your suffering, whether it's depression and anxiety, it's inflammation, it's all of that. Like, you know, stress can do a number on you and exercise uh, it basically reverses a lot of those biochemical changes. So one way I think about it is it's, it's, it's just good medicine that you can choose for yourself and it all works. It's not like you have to swim or you have to lift weights or you have to run or you have to stretch. I mean, basically all movement is going to have um, a, a set of changes to what's in your blood, 
what's happening in your brain that make you um, more resilient to whatever is going on in your life. So if you can't fix your life and you can't change the world, um, there are things you can do that really defend against some of the worst um, typical outcomes from chronic or traumatic stress. So I think like that's an important way to think about it. Um, also, I mean, they're also, I'm talking about this in a very like therapeutic way, but also they make you happy. I mean, those things that are creating <laughs> changes when you're lucky, if you're not in the absolute pit of grief, uh, you know, or depression, you might get something like an exercise high, you might feel that warm glow. Uh, and we know that um, just like it can take time for medication to kick in, like an antidepressant to kick in, or just like it takes time for your muscles to adapt to strength training, it takes some time for your brain to adapt to regular movement to create a lot of these changes. So it's also, I, I always want to encourage people to know, you know, like you don't have to get an exercise high the first time you go for a walk. Um, that doesn't mean that your brain will never reward you for moving. It's your brain has to get used to it and learn how to do it. So there's an adaptation sort of time window, at least a few weeks. Um, you know, but also you talked about changing how you interpret stress and as somebody who, um, my nervous system is built for anxiety. If there were, if, if that were such a thing, like I am finely tuned for it uh, since birth. So I know what it's like to feel anxiety in the body, the heart pounding, the gut churning, changes in your temperature, you're hot and then you're cold and, and the desire to shrink and all of that stuff. Um, and what's really interesting for me about movement is like every form of movement I've ever fallen in love with doesn't, doesn't like re just reverse some of those physiological symptoms. They give me a new way to experience them. So like mm. my heart pounding. One of the reasons why I love high intensity exercise now is because I had this insight during a workout that I felt miserable in where my heart was pounding so hard and I thought, oh, I've only ever felt this way from fear. I'm like, but like, I feel it now and I feel amazing because I worked so hard. Um, and I was able to reappraise my pounding heart the next time I was feeling panic. I'd be like, oh, this is like, this could be courage, right? Because mm -hmm. it was when in the workout, it, it was courage. And I feel like, you know, like yoga did the same thing for me. It taught me I'm so used to not wanting to be uncomfortable and wanting to leave a situation that makes me uncomfortable, um, to want to feel safer or like to just find that, that self-protection. And I found that yoga was literally teaching me how to stay put when I'm uncomfortable because my teacher was saying, we're in this pose for the next two minutes stay in it <laughs> Hang um, out. and like the whole the whole thing was like oh how do you stay in a pose that's uncomfortable if you are choosing to because you think there's a reason to be here right? i mean that's the whole thing about yoga too what's great about it is it's it's not great if somebody's like standing on you and saying you're not allowed to come out of the pose but if you're like oh forward bend i know it's increasing flexibility in my back body and you know there's it's also teaching me how to relax in interesting ways and it's deepening my breath like there's a reason to be here. So how do I work with my mind so that I can feel okay about being here? I can choose to be here. And that's another way that that movement has helped me deal with stress. So I can change my relationship to discomfort. I mean, there's so many ways, um, but why don't you tell a story? Well, well, you know, no, because actually what I want to do is respond to those stories because 
what I so appreciate about those stories is, you know, how often have we heard about zoning out when you're working out and that that's how it helps you manage stress is it like shuts your brain off. Hmm. And I've, I've not ever really responded well to that because for me, I go deeper into my embodied experience through movement. And so like, yeah, maybe it makes me less churny in my thoughts, but also like sometimes my best insights happen then. But what you're describing in both of those stories is a present moment awareness of yourself that you continue to show up for your embodied experience and then use that to inform how you're interpreting other things. And that is the opposite of I get on the treadmill and, you know, zone out to the news and and torture myself for 20 minutes without thinking about it as much as possible. Yeah. I mean, so it's interesting. Yes. And then as soon as you said that, I was like, oh, that's right. I forgot. It could also help that other way too. You know? <laughs> oh, sure. So, sometimes <laughs> it's funny because I don't tend to use, I, I don't tend to use exercise in that way, but sometimes it's really helpful. And, and music is the thing that's going to work for me the best when yeah you need to turn off what's happening in your head because it's torturing you and it's not helpful and it's not true. And it's like, sometimes you just need something else to be present in your, in your experience. And it, you need a stimulus that is either loud enough or hard enough or interesting enough that it completely changes what's going on. And so for me, music does it, but for a lot of people, that's why they love nature. I heard that from so mm -hmm. many people who are tormented by their thoughts. That, mm -hmm. that moving in nature was the thing that quieted it down. And, uh, and so, so it's also that, like, I love this, like, yeah, I, you know, I like turning to my body now, but you know, there are also times when you, you want to turn to something else and, you know, exercise can, can connect us to things that are outside of us so that our sense of self and our sense of awareness is bigger than whatever is going on inside of us that we we might truly need a break from. It could also be things like physical pain. Um, and, and moving with other people also makes it more likely that I will feel that kind of uh, connection. But I think like music is so great for that because you're if you move to music, somehow it's like the music gets in you, but then all of a sudden you're in the music. And so your experience is bigger than whatever the the problem was or the i'm probably not explaining this right oh you're explaining it well and i'm just getting distracted by my own brain putting madonna songs in my head um, <laughs> <laughs> but i think you know i think what what we're both alluding to is just the very the varied ways mm -hmm. that movement is not only helpful to us in these very biological ways that we're taught to think about it right like okay this muscle is contracting and getting stronger or it's, you know, my heart is beating this many beats per minute, but there are all of these other physiological and emotional processes that show up when we move in a variety of ways. Um, and I think it leads in pretty nicely to this other thing that I want to talk about with you. Like, you know, last time you were on the show, you talked about, 
you know, the ways in which movement has allowed you to express and connect to different parts of yourself and what that's meant to you. And I think you've just shared a few more stories there. And, and of course, thank you for that. Um, you know, this year you are the keynote speaker for NASM's Optima conference coming up October 16th. I think it kicks off like that. There's a three, it's a three day conference. It's online. It's free. You should come uh, listener, come listen to us, make words with our mouths. Um, but you're, going to be sharing a bit about movement and meaning and you're doing it through other people's stories and I know I'm particularly excited to hear it uh, but can you share with us a bit more about this relationship to, to meaning and movement and, and give us a little plug for your keynote? Yeah so um, the intention behind that keynote was uh, I was inspired by this theme elevate your impact and I was thinking about how movement has really changed my life there are people in, in the fitness industry and dance teachers who have changed my life in such profound ways who maybe don't even know it. And um, I was thinking that all fitness professionals should know that what they're doing changes lives. And so what I talk about is how to think about in your own experience what movement has meant to you, the, the people, coaches, instructors, trainers, teachers, who um, have that relationship has been really transformative for you. And uh, to start to think about the work that you do and the impact that you're having on clients or your community, um, and to start to look, like be like a detective for meaning and look for the evidence of it. Like, what are people saying in reviews? What are they emailing you when they give you a little thank you card? What are they writing about? Asking people how they feel and starting to, to to get this like this narrative this this deep understanding of the role that movement has played in your life and how your own struggles and your own um you know awakenings have <laughs> allowed you to have a life-changing impact on your clients and your community and then we also talk about how to then like do it on purpose so <laughs> as an example one of the things i didn't when I first started teaching dance, I was just so in love with dance and I knew how to create uh, an experience where other people would feel like dancers. But it took me a lot longer to figure out how to create a dance experience that made people feel like they belong. And uh, mm. part of it was starting to get this feedback from people that they were really finding connection and community in my classes. and. I started, like, I was hearing it. I will wait, I can do better. I can do this more on purpose. And I thought about the teachers who had made me feel welcome in class and made me feel like I was seen. I thought about, like, what makes someone feel seen in a dance class and how is that different than maybe what would make someone feel seen and appreciated in another type of movement experience? Like, for me, I, I discovered it's, first of all, it's when you look out and you see somebody moving in a way something is shining through them they are connected to the music and a particular move in a way it's like it's like amplifying who they are and like you, when you see it and you you like you notice it you, you're able to connect with them over that that's one way but then also just finding out what someone's favorite song is and using it i got to do that like let me just tell you a story okay yeah today in class a woman came up and she's like, it's somebody's birthday, but I'm not allowed to tell you who. <laughs> like, oh, I like to make a big fuss about birthdays. She's yeah. like, but maybe you can just like say that a song is a birthday song so that person knows they're being celebrated because we love to celebrate people. So I did all that and I'm like hyping it up a little bit here and there. It's like, whoever you are, like, we're so glad you're here. 
and I just wish I could give you a song for your birthday. If I knew who you were, I would. So finally, during our, our water break, a woman comes up, comes up and she admits it's her birthday. And she's like, can we, can we do The Greatest Showman? And I was like, yes, we can. And I was just like so excited that we got to do it. And everyone like cheered and not everyone knew whose birthday it actually was. But um, like, so that sort of thing, looking for ways to design that in. That's how I think about elevating my impact. Like whatever my playlist was, the fact that I hadn't practiced The Greatest Showman, I was like, you know what? We'll don't matter. fudge through the middle part. <laughs> like, I don't remember doesn't what that matter. was. It doesn't matter, right? It's much more important to say yes to the request. Yeah. Um, so anyways, the, so the keynote is like, how, how are you going to do that? How do you figure out what your impact is? What's actually meaningful to you and your, your clients and your community? And then just, um, like relentlessly do more of that on purpose. Yeah. Oh, it makes me think of, um, do you know the work of Isaac Prilotensky, University of Miami, mm -mm. Meaning and Mattering? Mm -mm. Yeah. All right. So quick, quick download. Ah, I get to teach you something. Hmm. Um, so Isaac Prilotensky, he's at the University of Miami, and his big thing is around the exchange of meaning and mattering, that all of us should have ways that we feel that we can meaningfully contribute to others, that that those people matter to us, right? That, that they're important. And so we're going to have meaningful ways of making them feel good. Um, and that shows them that they matter. And then if they, in turn, it's a reciprocal exchange of them then doing a meaningful thing that helps us know that we matter. And when you get that reciprocal exchange is when you start to build positive communal experience. And what I hear there is, you know, this woman was, was not feeling safe to be seen entirely, except for maybe by her friend and by you. And then you found a way to make it meaningful to show her that she mattered. And I feel like move, um, music is like your love language. So I feel like giving people <laughs> movement and music from you is like, it's like my hugging, like hugs yeah. are my love language. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you. And thank you for sharing a very tangible example of this idea. And um, like I said, I'm I'm very excited for your session, as you might imagine. Um, the other thing I want to throw out there um, before we wrap up is that I liked this image of you saying like there are fitness professionals out there in the world who have had a big impact on you that they probably don't even know it. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I, I feel lucky that I get to, to do the show because it means that I get to tell you to my face like your your book was your way of pass passing that forward, you know, not just for me, but I know, I know dozens of people personally that either I've given them the book or I've talked about the book or whatever, or they found it on their own and it resonated something in them that they then have been able to pass on through their meaningful practices. And um, so you're, you're paying that forward in kind. And I think that's really powerful and, and awesome. And thank you. Thank you. If people are interested in you and your work and what you're up to or want to take one of your dance classes, um, where can they find you? Uh, KellyMcGonagall.com. Yeah, straightforward. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and if you have feedback on this episode, any episode, um, you can find me on Instagram. I'm darling.coach. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm super easy to find. And I'm also on TikTok now if you're into that sort of thing. Um, mm -hmm. And if you like the show, you could leave us a review on Spotify now has reviews. We I suggest five stars, just saying, uh, or out on Apple Podcasts. And wherever you are hearing the sound of our voices, please subscribe, comment, like it, share it. Um, if you 
post anything on social media, go ahead and tag me. I'll give you a little, a little bump there. And thank you so much. And of course, join us both for our sessions at NASM Optima coming up in just a few weeks. And if you want to listen to the first interview I did with Kelly a year ago, that is going to be going up the week after this episode goes up, which is oh the same week as Optima. So maybe you should just check it all out. And thanks. Thank you.